0: Hello, this is Denise with Pearls on Tuesday, and this is a continuation of my first podcast sharing my memoir, Cherished Child, My Life with Nanny, chapters one through three. Today I will begin with chapter four, entitled School Days. I did not attend kindergarten for two reasons. First, it was not a requirement for entrance to first grade. And secondly, Nanny felt that she could teach me all I needed to know and more. While this was not entirely untrue, there were some important things that I did not learn in time for school. Prior to my first day of first grade, I had never really learned how to play with other children. I was an only child, an only grandchild, and was not allowed to roam the neighborhood in order to make friends. I recall seeing other children riding their bicycles past Nanny's house while I was trying to get their attention from behind the chain link fence. One of these bike riders was a neighbor's child later to become my schoolmate, boyfriend, and surprisingly enough, the love of my life and father of my children, Brennan John O'Connor. He lived with his mother, two brothers and sister, around the corner. His aunt and grandmother lived across the street. Nanny felt that Brennan and his siblings were given too much freedom. This wasn't truly the case, as our neighborhood was a safe place with open doors and great families. My seclusion and lack of experience with children my age led to difficulties making friends, sharing, and being part of a larger group. In my world, there was only me, myself, and I. School was indeed a strange and scary place. Besides the social ramifications of a sheltered childhood, there were academic concerns as well. Nanny taught me so many things, and I am eternally thankful. I could recite lengthy prayers and poems. I knew the words to a myriad of songs, all from her generation. I knew a great deal about the lives of many famous people, saints, presidents, actors, musicians, and artists. I could talk about her homeland, the St. Thomas Virgin Islands, as if I had been there myself. I knew the meaning of our flag, could recite the Pledge of Allegiance, and knew a lot about the history of our country. The gaps existed in my educational foundation. I did not have a keen understanding of how letters came together to form words. While I could count by rote, I did not have an understanding of number value and how number patterns work. These things, together with my reluctancy to socialize, led to a rough start to my educational experience. Who would have dreamed that I would grow up to become an elementary school teacher? I attended first grade at Holy Angels Catholic School. It was a very short walk from Nanny's house. I wore a green plaid wool jumper and a white blouse with a plaid tie. My tiny legs were clothed in thick green knee socks or tights with black and white saddle oxfords. Nanny walked me down the street to school each day. My teacher's name was Mrs. O'Reilly. She was an older gray haired lady with thick glasses that made her eyes look huge. All of the children gathered on the playground until the school bell rang. They played chase, climbed trees, and sat in small groups chatting and playing hand games like Miss Mary Mack. I was not interested in any of these things. It all looked wild and dangerous to me. I hid behind Nanny, if approached by a child or an adult, and dreaded hearing that bell ring. I don't remember any other grown-ups being in the play yard, and certainly none who stood in line with the children as we paraded into the building, but Nanny did. She had to, or I would burst into tears. Now, starting school is an adjustment for most children, but my behavior went far beyond the first day of school jitters. My unhappiness with going to school lasted for months. As fate would have it, I could see Nanny's driveway from my classroom window. I can't explain the heartbreak and terror I felt the first time I saw, as I was sitting in my little wooden desk, the car leave Nanny's driveway. It was a big blue station wagon. I was supposed to be in that car. I should have been going to mom's house or shopping or bill paying. I was supposed to be eating lunch at Woolworths or riding the tunnel bus to Norfolk. Instead, she was going without me. I'm sure her heart was breaking too. And I was stuck here in this noisy classroom with people I didn't know or care to know and a teacher I hadn't learned to trust. She treated me like one of many, and I was not one of many, I was me. Didn't she know all the special things I could do? Didn't she know that I knew how to organize a high tea just like Nanny did when she lived in England? Didn't she know that I knew how to properly hold a glass of champagne and what to do at a party if you don't want to finish your drink? Instead, all she wanted me to do was to see me write sticks and circles without going below the line, and draw a circle around the picture of the dog. I wanted out of here, and so I made myself throw up. This worked until Mrs. O'Reilly stopped allowing me to go to the clinic. On to plan B. By December of that year, I still had not made much progress. I cried at school on a daily basis and failed to make friends with my classmates. My parents were called in to meet with the principal, Sister Margaret Mary. My parents attempted to describe what my childhood with Nanny had been like, but Sister Margaret Mary insisted that I should be taken to a psychiatrist. They agreed to give me a few more months to adjust before I would have to be taken out of my first grade class. Having met with hundreds of parents during my teaching career, I know that they too are in pain when their precious children are suffering. My parents were no exception. I'm sure they felt that they had failed me and wished that they had made different choices concerning my early years. It would be years later when we realized what a gift my time with Nanny was for all of us and how none of us would change it for the world. I don't recall exactly when the turning point came, but I do remember the first time I got excited about school. It was springtime, and the first grade of Holy Angels School was asked to perform for the PTA. By this time, Mrs. O'Reilly had left, and our new teacher, Mrs. Screeny, took over. Mrs. Screeny taught us a song she wrote to the tune of Hello, Dolly. We stood in three rows and sang our hearts out while she played the piano and we shook bells, tap sticks, and one special child played the triangle. Guess who got to play the prized triangle? Yours truly. I was so proud. I can still remember the words. To the song hello parents well hello parents it's so nice to have you back where you belong you're looking swell parents you can tell parents you're still glowing you're still crowing you're still looking fine i hear the band playing and the children singing just the way we used to way, way, way back when. So, take a chair, parents, put your feet in the air, parents, listen to your holy angels, listen to your holy angels, listen to your holy angels sing. We practiced and practiced. It was hot in the unair conditioned auditorium, and we were standing on metal rafters shoulder to shoulder, singing as loud as we could. My main job was to hit the triangle at the end of each verse and again at the end of the song. It was a lot of responsibility, but I was up to the task. My family was excited and relieved to see me happy about school and enjoying performing with my classmates. Being chosen to play the triangle immediately boosted my position within the class and the eyes of my friends. Something tells me that being chosen for the triangle solo was not by chance. Mrs. Screeny was an intuitive and compassionate educator. Sadly enough, The old legend of the boy who cried wolf came true to me the morning of our much anticipated performance. We practiced one last time in the auditorium and then went back to the classroom to finish our work for the day. All of a sudden, my stomach and head did not feel right. I ignored it as best I could, but within a few minutes, I knew I needed to raise my hand and ask to be excused. By the time, as a screenie noticed my weak arm in the air, it was too late. I leaned over and got sick all over the floor beside my desk. I was taken to the nurse where I insisted that I was just fine. However, this time I really was sick. In fact, I had a fever. Furthermore, the school nurse informed my parents that I had to be fever free for 24 hours before returning to school. This brought my debut as a triangle player and singer to an abrupt halt. Easy come, easy go. Side note, Nanny's neighbor, old Mr. Tucker, befriended me at a young age. Their yards shared a fence, and we greeted one another in the same way every morning. When Mr. Tucker came out of his garage door, I would wave and scream, Hello, Mr. Tucker. His response was, I see ya. We communicated this way for years. Once in a while, I would drag Nanny's picnic table over to his side of the yard and use it as a stage. I would sing and dance for Mr. Tucker, who was always the most gracious audience. At Christmas time, he bought me toy instruments, which I incorporated into my picnic table acts. To this day, I still have the little red and white accordion he gave to me. Evidently, Nanny had mentioned to Mr. Tucker that my first grade class would be performing that night for PTA. Little did we know, Mr. Tucker, dressed in his best suit, walked across the street to the school to see me sing. The next morning, he approached Nanny to inquire about my absence. She told him that I had gotten sick at school and had to miss the program. She reminded him that several of the neighborhood children were also in the show. Mr. Tucker shook his head and said, No, ma'am, I really came to see Denise. That surely would have been something to see. This story has a happy ending because once I felt better, I performed the song for Mr. Tucker standing on the picnic table. In fact, I sang it through about five times in a row. And guess what? Mr. Tucker gave me a silver triangle of my very own. I seldom see or hear a triangle without thinking of this sweet old man. Chapter 5, Holiday Magic Nanny loved holidays and special occasions. Our extended family was large, and even though her home was not, it was the place where we all gathered to celebrate. Poppy worked for days to prepare feasts fit for a king. His signature dish was ponset, And it was to die for. His salads were works of art with roses made from radishes on top. Like a story from the Bible, the food never ran out no matter how many people came to eat. Nanny always said that those born in July are domestic. I think she was right because I am now the preparer of feasts for our family. A task I enjoy just like Poppy back in the day. Nanny's contribution to our holiday gatherings was decorating. Her decorating style was more and then some. At Halloween, for example, a simple pumpkin on the porch would never do. Instead, she lined her sidewalk with pumpkins, taped pumpkin cutouts to the windows, and hung ghost skeletons and black cats from the trees. This took scary to a whole new level. Christmas was Nanny's favorite time of year, and she put all she had into creating a festive atmosphere. One of my fondest childhood memories involves her decorating. Sometime after Thanksgiving, I would come through the door to find the entire house transformed into a winter wonderland. The tree was standing, usually leaning a bit, in the corner adorned with at least a 100 ornaments, lights, and a star on top. Underneath was a miniature white fence surrounding a mismatched nativity scene, which was sitting atop yards of white cotton, the kind with glitter sprinkled all over it. Mary was much bigger than Joseph, and the wise men looked like a motley crew. The mantle was decorated with evergreen branches, a string of silver bells, and candy canes. Stockings for Nanny, Poppy, and me were already in place, an elf peeking out of mine. The dining room table was draped in a festive cloth. A bountiful bowl of ribbon candy sat in the middle. Red candles waited patiently in silver candelabras. Every room in the house was made to feel special with decorations of all kinds. I still can't fathom how Nanny was able to do all of this in such a short amount of time. It seems I would leave an ordinary house one afternoon and return the next morning to Christmastown. I honestly never saw her decorate or unpack boxes. I suppose this overnight transformation will just have to remain one of the true mysteries of Christmas. Our family tradition was to open presents on Christmas Eve. As soon as I was old enough to read, I was given the job of Santa. Donning a red and white Santa hat, I would read the gift tags aloud and deliver packages to the lucky recipients. The majority of the gifts under Nanny's tree were for yours truly. Two Nini from Santa, another one for me, I'd shout. Being a child of the Depression, Nanny could not tolerate waste of any kind. She believed in recycling long before it was a thing. Wrapping paper and bows were to be used at least twice. Most of our packages were festooned with crumpled paper and smashed bows, but I thought they were just perfect. Attention to detail was not important to my Nanny. Getting it done was she was graceful in a clumsy sort of way. After our gift exchange, it was time to set out for midnight mass. We attended St. Paul's in Old Town Portsmouth. This magnificent church built in the 1800s was where Nanny and Poppy were married in 1940. She attended this church as a young girl and most of our family celebrations, funerals, baptisms, and graduations took place within its walls. I don't remember having a difficult time staying awake for midnight mass, but I do remember that we often had to stand throughout the service because it was always very well attended. One year, Nanny bought me a brown wool coat and hat, which I was made to wear on Christmas Eve. I despised this coat for several reasons. First, it was brown. Second, it was itchy. Lastly, it was two sizes too big. Nanny's hope was that the coat would fit for several years. I must have expressed my dislike for this new coat because I recall Nanny forcing my arms into the sleeves and buttoning it all the way up to my neck. I scratched my skin raw by the end of mass and have never owned a brown coat since. On Christmas Day, everyone and their brother came to Nanny's house for dinner. Aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, and their pets perched on the arms of chairs, sprawled on the floor, sat on laps, or just stood. The house was noisy, joyous, and chaotic. Each time the front door opened, a rush of cold air blew through. It felt good to be inside this warm, cozy house with so many familiar people. Every family tree is full of nuts, and ours was no exception. Uncle Buddy wore two or three shirts or sweaters, all gifts he had received that day. Aunt Juanita sat with her fingers in her ears because the noise made her nervous. My older cousins gathered in Liz's room with the door shut so they could smoke cigarettes in peace. Mom arrived, stayed 30 minutes, got mad at someone, and ordered Nanny to drive her home. In between all of this were the spontaneous carols, picture-taking, eating, drinking, spills, laughs, and tears. Those were the days, my friend. I thought they'd never end.